Walking up the road to Jerusalem The time had come to sacrifice again My two small sons, they walk beside me on the road The reason that they came was to watch the Lamb Daddy, Daddy, what will we see there? There's so much that we don't understand So I told them a Moses and Father Abraham And then I said, dear children, watch the Lamb For there will be so many in Jerusalem today We must be sure the Lamb doesn't run of Moses and Father Abraham and then I said dear children watch the Lamb and when we reached the city I knew something must be wrong there were no joyful worshippers no joyful worship songs I stood there with my children in the midst of angry men and then I heard the crowd cry out crucify him we tried to city but we could not get away forced to play in this drama a part I did not wish to play why upon this day were men condemned to die why were we standing here when soon they would pass by I looked and said even now they come the first one cried for mercy the people gave him none the second one was violent he was arrogant and loud I still can hear his angry voice screaming at the crowd then someone said there's Jesus I scarce believe my eyes a man so badly beaten he barely looked alive blood poured from his body from the thorns upon his brow running cross and falling to the ground I watched him as he struggled 
I watched him as he fell. The cross came down upon his back. The crowd began to yell. In that moment, I felt such agony. In that moment, I felt such loss. Until a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and screamed, You carry his cross. At first, I tried to resist him. Then his hand reached for his sword. And so I knelt and took the cross from the Lord. I placed it on my shoulder and started down the street. The blood that he'd been shedding was running down my cheek. They led us to Golgotha. They drove nails deep in his feet and hands. And yet upon the cross I heard him pray, Father, forgive them. Oh, never have I seen such love in any other eyes. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, he prayed, and then he died. I stood there for what seemed like years, I'd lost all sense of time, until I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine. My children stood there weeping. I heard the oldest say, Father, please forgive us. The lamb ran away. Daddy, Daddy, what have we seen here? There's so much that we don't understand. So I took them in my arms and we turned and faced the cross. And then I said, Dear children, watch the Good evening. I'm Clayton Wilfarm, the pastor here at Joy Christian Community Church. Welcome, especially if you are a visitor this evening. Glad that you are here. And for those who are worshiping with us online, I'm glad that you can worship with us on this Good Friday. So this time of worship is different than our normal time of worship. And tonight, the order is actually very simple, but I think moving, at least for me. So we will have a reading. We are going to go through the last seven words of Christ. 
After each reading of the word, there will be a short reflection, and then there will be a one verse of a song. During that verse, one of the candles will be extinguished one by one until the very end in which the Christ candle is then extinguished. Tenebrae means extinguishing of the light. So tonight we have a Good Friday and Tenebrae service. At the very end, after the Christ candle is extinguished, the altar will be stripped. So the candles and everything will be put in the back room. During that time, I request that you remain seated and in silence. And then once everything is done, you can exit. But I would also ask that you remain in silence throughout, reflecting on what Christ has done for us. So we begin our time of worship. Will you please stand as you are able? And we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our call to worship is from Isaiah 53. Together in unison, please. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You may be seated, and now we will have the first word. And, and as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will stay. Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, there were two criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, here they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. The first word that Jesus gave was one of forgiveness. Is this not, after all, the purpose of the cross? Forgiveness of sin. The Father sent the Son out of love. The Son out of love dies, so that you may be forgiven. You are welcome to sing along. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, the cross, the blood, 
second word and the people stood by watching but the rulers scoffed at him saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the Christ of God his chosen one the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying if you are the king of the Jews save yourself there was also an inscription up over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed by him, saying, Do not fear God, since do you not fear God? Are you the, really the Christ? Save yourself and us. And the other criminal said, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Even as he hung on the cross, Jesus extends grace and mercy to one who did not deserve it. But out of compassion for the one who sought him, he promised him everlasting life. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, 
but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill, to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. In the last moments of his life, he honored his mother, not simply as her son, but as her Lord and Savior. He provided comfort where he had none. fourth word and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice Eloi Eloi lemma sabachthani which means my God my God why have you forsaken me the greatest pain that Jesus felt was the separation from the Father. Surely, in this pain, he was crushed for our iniquities.
causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? The fifth word, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Though Jesus is the foundation of living water because he was also fully human, he would know what it means to be dry, parched with a burning thirst. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, thy Father turns his face away wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory the sixth word a jar full of sour wine stood there So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. The message tonight is from Isaiah chapter 53. It begins, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Today is a day of unbelief for many people. And by that I don't mean unbelievable as in awe of what is happening or what happened, but actual unbelief. There are many people who look at all of creation and say it happened by an accident. There is no God, and there is unbelief that he would even exist, let alone be holy or righteous. There's an unbelief that one man could atone for the sin of the world, that one man's death would mean anything for all of eternity, that a wandering rabbi could do anything that would last forever. They mock at Christ. They use his name as a curse word today. If you want to curse, the word of Christ is upon one's lips. 
And the wave of unbelief has grown even stronger in this last few years. But this is nothing new. As Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. There has been unbelief for thousands upon thousands of years. In fact, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. And he was writing to the Israelites, the Jews, the people who believed that God existed, and yet they would still have unbelief that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. The Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, he had to be the conqueror, didn't he? How could he ever be a suffering servant? They couldn't believe that. And then 700 years later, God, Emmanuel, Jesus, came to the earth. God with us in the flesh. And he taught with authority like no one had ever taught before. He did miracles like no one had done before, and yet they still did not believe him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, it says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? There's nothing new under the sun regarding unbelief. People do not believe because their hearts are hardened against the Lord. Many people do not believe because Jesus does not fit the mold of who a Savior should be. I mean, for one thing, he had no form of what a Savior should look like. It says, for he grew, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was no movie star. His physical appearance wouldn't stand out in a crowd. I mean, if you and I saw him today, we would probably just pass him by as just another person on the street. Even on Palm Sunday, when the crowd was shouting their hosannas to the son of David, to the king, he still didn't look like a king. I mean, at least Saul looked like a king. It says of this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He had the look, he had the bearing, the regal stature of a king. Even King David was said to be ruddy with fine appearance, with ha handsome features. But this servant of the Lord in Isaiah had no outward show that he would attract any attention whatsoever. And in today's world of popularity, of everything being done for the camera, he sure didn't have that Christian leadership look about him. He wouldn't have had that Christian charisma that we so, many people so desire, I don't desire, but many people desire that today. He didn't have any of that. Rather, he was an outcast. 
it says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was despised and rejected. And as much as we want to say, oh, we would never do that, we too would probably despise and reject him like so many others did. There was no belief then and today that that man, the suffering servant, could ever be a savior of the world worthy of praise. And yet, yesterday on Monday, Thursday, we talked about the faithfulness of Christ Jesus, that how, how he is always faithful, that though we are faithless, he remains faithful. And though, though we forsake him, he will never forsake us. Though we sin, he will bear our sins on the cross. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now this passage gets to the very heart of what the suffering servant has done for us. And it is for us. Notice the language. It says, our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities, the iniquities of us all. This suffering servant literally carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. And what is the weight of the world? The weight of the world is transgression, iniquity. Now, these words sound very foreign to us. We don't use them. And so we want to make them not as meaningful as they are. But in fact, they carry much, much weight. The word that we are used to is sin. And we do know that word. And when we are not hardened by that word, it does prick at us. The sin of the world is what he carried. Sin is what causes calamity. Sin is what causes pain. Sin causes murder. It causes strife. It causes rape. It causes people to do horrific things to one another. Sin is the cry of a three-year-old child who is being sexually abused. Sin is the cry of a person so lonely and in despair that all they want to do is take their own life to end the pain. This is the sin of the world. It is sin that destroys and tears apart families. It is sin that brings despair, destruction, calamity upon us all. And when I read the newspapers, when I read what's online and about the sin of the world, I can barely take it in. If I read too much, it simply overwhelms me. And I know I'm not even reading about all the sin of the world. 
just for a short portion one day for a brief moment in time but think about all the sin from one day throughout the entire world and then not only that day but the week and not only the week but the month and not only the month but the years upon years and generations upon generations and the entirety of sin he bore by himself Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And I can't help but think when he was carrying the cross that finally it was too heavy and he couldn't bear it any longer. He needed someone else to carry that up so he could be crucified. He was crushed by the weight of sin and he was wounded And here we think about the flogging that he endured, the nails in his hands and feet. And he was literally pierced through. The guard, to ensure that he had actually died, took a spear and thrust it into his side, thrust it into his heart, and out came both blood and water. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And he did it all for you for us, so that we may have peace, so that we may have healing. But what's this peace, what's this healing really about? Well, if you ask Peter, who was with him through it all, he wrote this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The healing that takes place, the peace that takes place truly is between you and God, that your soul is made new again, and that you are restored in the relationship from from which you were alienated by sin, from which there was discord and strife. Now there's peace, all because he bore our sorrow. Paul wrote in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. This is the suffering servant. This is what he did. And he did it even though he was innocent. From my reading in Isaiah, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. 
so he opened not his mouth. Though he was convicted of crimes, he was innocent, and his silence speaks of his innocence before his accusers. He did not say anything before Caiaphas, the chief priest, the elders, before Pilate and for Herod, before Herod. He did not speak out against the guards who stripped him, who mocked him. Though he had broken no law, in fact, he had perfectly kept the law of God. He was illegally captured, he was illegally tried, and he was illegally convicted, but he did not protest he did not appeal because he knew he was there to fulfill the Father's will. That he was the sacrificial lamb led to the slaughter to fulfill the Father's will. Verse 10 from our reading in Isaiah, Yet it was the will of the Father to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors, transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, and it's true. The law of the Lord is perfect. It does revive the soul. And the law of the Lord is righteous, for it comes from the one who is righteous. So the law is perfect. It is righteous. But when there are transgressions against the law, the perfect law, the righteous law, a penalty must be paid. There must be an atonement for the transgressions against God and his holiness and his righteousness. But who is the one? Who is the one who can offer a perfect sacrifice? Because a perfect sacrifice is what was needed because the law that was broken is perfect and holy and righteous. Who is the one who can stand and say, I have not sinned, I am perfect, I am holy, I am righteous? And the answer is, none of us. No one here can stand and make that claim. But there is one, the suffering servant, Christ Jesus the Lord. He was perfect and is perfect. He was without sin and for eternity is without sin. He is holiness. He is righteousness. And so God ordained that a perfect sacrifice would be made and that God himself would provide that sacrifice because we could not. 
And it was the will of the Father and the love of the Father that gave the Son for a perfect sacrifice. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was God's intention. God the Father, with foreknowledge, with a plan before creation was ever made, it was his will to crush the Son so that a perfect sacrifice was made. This was not accidental. This was not a last-minute plan. It was the will of the Lord. And Jesus willingly went to the cross, and he bore the weight of our sins and the full alienation that sin causes between us and God. And he did it on purpose. It was not because he was trying to be a martyr. It was not because he was trying to be a good example for us. He did it out of love for us. He bore what we could not bear. He paid the penalty and the price that we cannot pay. Look at the cross. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the will of the Lord. This is the will of the Father. This is the will of the Son. That a perfect sacrifice was made, giving full satisfaction for the sin. And thus the words of Isaiah were fulfilled. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In this Christ Jesus, the suffering servant, the full satisfaction was made for the holiness and the righteousness of God. And by his wounds, we are healed and we have peace. So the question before us tonight is, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? And the answer is, that is to the ones who have looked to the cross, to the ones who know Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world He is Savior, He is Lord, He is righteous. And blessed are those who believe. Amen. sins upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life.
The seventh word. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He had completed everything that was asked. Nothing was held back. Now, with his dying breath, he gave his spirit to the Father. Nothing was held back in life or in death. me to tremble. 